Welcome to Asia Rising, the podcast of La Trobe Asia, where we discuss the news, views, and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. The World Health Organization reports that over 800,000 people die due to suicide every year, and there are many more who attempt suicide. It is a global problem in all regions of the world, and 73% of global suicides occur in low and middle income countries. It's a sensitive topic in all countries, particularly in Asian states. Hong Kong has experienced one of the most drastic changes in its suicide rate with a steady decline in the past 10 years. Here to talk about attitudes towards suicide, suicide prevention, and give a Hong Kong perspective is Professor Paul Yip, Director of the Center for Suicide Research and Prevention at the University of Hong Kong. He's also a member of the La Trobe Asia Advisory Board. Thanks for joining me today, Paul. My pleasure. So if you can start by giving me a bit of a snapshot of, of suicide attitudes in Hong Kong, what's the situation and what are the numbers that you're working with? Well, I think in Hong Kong, uh, since the changeover in 1997, I mean, the suicide rate has climbed up, I think, from about 11 per 100,000 and then to 2003, and then where we have 18.6 per 100,000. Since 2003, it actually it has come down quite encouragingly. And now the rate at 2015, it is only about 11 per 100,000. I think what we have seen in Hong Kong, we have this up and down, and then we have seen the people seem to be more receptive. I mean, to talk about suicide now. I think it was a very taboo subject. A lot of people, I think they do not want to talk about depression. They do not talk about suicide. But I think since for the past 10 years or so, I think um, the Hong Kong community itself, it raises awareness, I think, in understanding the mental health. And then the mental health is a very core component of the health of any population. So I think the situation is getting better. Are you putting that change down then to the, the approach to suicide prevention rather than a, a reduction or the change in the pressures that cause suicide? Well, I think it is a bit of both. I think in 2003, when we have a historical high unemployment rate and also we have the SARS epidemics, everybody is so worrying about their future and then you have such a strong sense of helplessness and hopelessness. Yeah. But now I think uh, the situation is getting better. I think the government and then government organization have invested considerably, I think, in the mental health. Actually, we can see a very healthy reduction. We have seen a very healthy reduction among the elderly and also the adult population. But now we see a slightly increase among our school children. That is one of our concerns today. Let's talk about that change. I, I, I imagine that it's quite challenging to reach the school children in their own environment or on their own level when talking about suicide problems and prevention, isn't it? Well, I think that it is difficult. Actually, some of the school personnel, I think they do not want to talk about it. They think that it's a taboo subject and then they do not want to have anything happen in their school such that it would not affect the image of the school. I mean, because yeah. now, as you might know, a lot of school, they feel the competition to attract the student due to the reduction of the babies. Now, I mean, we uh, have smaller uh, size of the school children now. There's a lot of school, I think they're facing the cut. The Not, last thing they want to be seen is to have a problem with suicide yes, amongst the yes, students. Uh, yes. The other thing we, we are talking about, the exam academic-oriented curriculum, I think, in Asia, 
or in Hong Kong, especially. I think there's a lot of time, which is the parents, the teachers, the students. I think they spend most of the time in academic curriculum. So actually, they do not have much time to talk about mental health, problem-solving skills, self-esteem, this sort of thing, which is very important because I think if the children, they cannot put up with this pressure, and sometimes they also do not have a very strong social support. Their mental well-being, they may not be very good. Develop this sort of suicidal ideation. Some of them, I mean, they put it in action and then they kill themselves. And what we have seen in the past six months, what we have seen, the number of school children who kill themselves is more than the whole year. I think in the last four years. So yeah. I think it has become a very burning question. I think for the government and for the whole community itself. And how to stop the epidemic? One approach that's been getting a bit of attention by the Education Bureau has been a, a no suicide contract that has been given out to schools in Hong Kong. Is that what's the story behind that? You're shaking your head. Yes, I think that is not a good idea. I think, uh, but but is it actually happening? Um, I'm not sure that is accurate. Uh, leave reflected or being reported in the social media. Yeah. Because what I was told, there's no contract research. It is for social worker or the clinician after uh, several consultation. And then once they build up the trust, they might use this as a way, I think, to continuously engaging the client. For example, if they have three weeks before they're going to see them again, are you willing to sign this contract that you're not going to kill yourself I think, in the next three weeks? And if you think the otherwise, please contact us. So actually, this contract, I think it has been studied in other countries. Mm. And then the actual benefit, it has not been have a lot of empirical evidence to support it. Now, I'm not saying that it is no use. But what I'm saying that the use of the contract itself, it should not be just distributed to the class without any contact or engagement with the student. Yeah. Because it will give you some sort of false hope. I mean, if they sign the thing, it doesn't mean that they are not going to kill themselves. But if they refuse to sign it, yes, I think it is a good sign that I think this student might be at risk. But the use of the contract itself is not a non-discriminatory or no screening uh, has been used, then you apply the contract. We have some reservation of this. Yeah, yeah. The concern that I read about in the media a bit was that this would be used in a legally binding sort of context thing. But yeah, No, I don't think it is legally binding because as a lot of people saying that they would challenge the mental state of yeah. the people when they kill themselves, whether they are fully aware of this or not. So, so I don't think if somebody they try to use this as a way to show off their responsibility, that's absolutely wrong. I mean, that is not what is intended to be. And I don't think it is so-called legally binding. I think it will subject, I think, to a lot of challenges. Could we change a bit and, and talk about Hong Kong itself? It's a very populated city, densely urbanized, very crowded. What pressures does it face when it comes to suicide risks and prevention? Well, we talk about hope. Hope is a very important thing to sustain the people. I mean, even I face the difficulty. If I have hope, I can pull up with this, this of difficulties. I will have the, my motivation to live on. Once without hope, your resilience level will be low and then you are very susceptible to hurting yourself or to finish your life. In Hong Kong, I think what we have seen, yes, 
is a very popular uh, city. It's very pressurized, but at the same time, I think there's also a lot of opportunities there. But very sadly, this opportunity is not being shared among the whole population. So there are certain group of people they are doing very well, like the professional, the IT people, the bankers. They can make a lot of money there. But on the other hand, there are certain group of people who are poor. They have difficulties. I think to see the future. I think the youth mobility is not as good as before. So there's a lot of complaint from our young people, and also they're so congested. So there's not much space. I think for the people to relax. I always say that in Hong Kong, not only lack of the physical space, the mental space as well. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're in school or you're at home. You're still really bound by very limited space, and plus we have a very long working hours. I mean, I really admire the lifestyle in Australia. I mean, by five o'clock or six o'clock, everybody can go home. You remember? But in Hong Kong, I mean, you will not be surprised the people they work until nine or ten. Yeah, I yeah. Think that And also the weakening of the social support. What we have been seeing in Hong Kong in the past two decades, I think our divorce rate has gone up. It seems that the family support system is weakening, is diminishing. I won't say our city is very fragile, but yeah. we, but our city really some attention. I mean, to re-examine our priority. I mean, we should not just work on this economic expansion. I mean, without. I think pay much attention to our mental well-being. Are there differences in attitudes then between the East and the West that you've seen? In the Western country, there's talking about the psychiatric illness, the mental illness, and suicide. Right? I mean, they're claiming that ninety percent of the suicide people they are clinically depressed, right?、Mm. But I think in Asia, I think the proportion will be less because some of the suicide in Asia they're quite impulsive. They're quite impulsive. I mean, and also they are more likely to suffer from relationship problem and financial problem, which is not as prevalent as in the Western country. And also we see a very high suicide rate, relative high suicide rate among the females in compared with the West, It's because the gender ratio,、mm. although our suicide rate is about the same, is about twelve per hundred thousand. And also the use of method too. I think in Australia, hanging is the most common method, but in Hong Kong, it's just jumping. I mean, gun is the most commonly used among men in America. So I think there are certain cultural differences here, and also it will be reflected. I think in the method used, in the gender ratio, and in the age differential as well. You said that the the highest suicide method in Hong Kong is is jumping. What kind of prevention methods are being taken? It is hard because eighty five percent of our people they live in a high rising building. Yeah. So it provide a very accessible and highly lethal means to kill themselves. But we have some successful story. Like in some of the shopping center, they put up a higher fence to prevent the people they jump up from the higher floor, and it, it seems that it works. And also some bridges、uh, identify some hot spot or some bridges have a number of suicide, and now they like to increase the things now. When we do the restriction of means, there's a lot of people they、uh, have some doubt 
well, if they don't kill themselves in this way, they'll I mean, find they, somewhere they else. They will find them. Yeah. But actually, in our research, you know, so a lot of research, it suggests that it's not quite one-to-one replacement. So if you take this away, you're actually you're buying time. Mm. When you're buying time, you let the intervention could take place. So especially for those very impulsive ones. Look, for example, if I have a quarrel with my girlfriend, and my emotion was very high, somewhere there which I can jump, then he or she might not. As right? an impulse kind As of very thing. impulsive. Yeah. But if he has to rush up and down for 10th floor before he can find a place to jump. Mm. But during that period of time, he may cool off, he may cool down, and he might change his mind. Is that the same sort of effectiveness then that you get from the doors on train platforms now? Do they have oh, yes, those in it Hong is. Kong? We have the so-called platform safety door, PSD. Yeah. Now, originally, to prevent the loss of cool air, to reduce the electricity cost. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. But as a matter of fact, we have some people, they fall into the trap by accident. They are not well. They faint. So they fall. Or some being pushed into the trap. Mm. Or some, they jump into the trap. What we have seen, after they set up the platform safety door, I think the number of people that jump into the trap has come down substantially. The people said, that, well, yeah, once you put up the platform safety door, they won't be able to jump anyway. No. But what we do not see, they have not moved to other station which have not got the platform safety door. Mm. Right? So I think all this evidence suggests to us that, hey, when you set up the barriers, make the restriction, make it less accessible, it helps. In Australia, we talk about gun control. I think uh, in United Kingdom, they are talking about the restricted sales of paracetamols over the counter. Yeah. And in Hong Kong, we have done the restriction of means of charcoal. The charcoal burning is one of the things that the people that kill themselves in Hong Kong. It is was the second most common method, but now it has come down to the third now. So now once we do the restriction of means or the restriction of sales, we don't mean that you cannot buy charcoal, but we just make it more difficult for you. Under the lock storage, you have to approach a shop assistant to get it. Mm. And after that, the whole year, and then we see the number of suicide died from charcoal burning has come down by 50%. Yeah. So, so all this suggests us some of the suicide, they are ambivalent, right? Now, I do know that there's a few that die hard people. It doesn't matter what you do, they will find a way to kill themselves, right? What we call the hardcore is very difficult to change. But they are a not insignificant proportion of the people. They actually, if you can do something, it will make a difference. The other thing I think is interesting to talk about is the social media now. The people, they prefer they not to call you. I mean, they prefer they send you the text message or they express their feeling in Facebook. There's a lot of development how to engage them in social media. It's mm. very encouraging. I mean, we use computer AI, this artificial intelligence, and try to to have an assessment I think, of the emotional status based on the, what the people type in. That must be really important for reaching out to young people to to address them where where they're seeking help. Yeah, I think now you can see the people they spend so many hours mm. on the internet on the iPhone. And actually, there's a lot of studies showing that the more time you spend on the iPhone, and it's not very good to your mental health. 
The last thing that I'd like to talk to you about is uh, China's suicide rate. Mm. In 2014, China reported a suicide rate of, of 9.8 for yep. every 100,000. Yep. And that was down about 50% or so from a 2002 number of 23.2. We have been monitoring or studying the suicide trend in China since 1990s. Now, at that time, I think the suicide information has been classified as a secret yeah. information from China. But actually, China is opening. They tend to realize that I mean, suicide is one of the problems in China. And at that time, when it is in 1990, their rate is 23 per 100,000. So 23, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are talking about each year is more than a quarter million of people they kill themselves, mm. right? So, and also you can see this as a huge regional differences. The rural area is about three times as much as the urban areas. But what you can see in the past two decades or so, the suicide continues to come down, okay? especially in the rural area. Then there's a lot of people, they are concerned about the accuracy of the data. Yes, I think we are concerned as much as anybody. But what we are saying that even if there's a misclassification or underreporting, but if you look at the trend itself, they are consistently coming down, now, which is a very encouraging thing. It could be related to the improvement of opportunities. Mm, and of, living standards. And, yeah. yeah. And especially for the women. You know, in 1990, the number of women who kill themselves is more than men. That's the only place in the world, and that you can find it in China. But now, because of this so-called improvement or the quality of life, education opportunity, and the working opportunity too, in China, we are talking about we have 200 million of people who are the migrant workers. So they left China, they left the rule, to go to the city, the coastal to work. So it actually it has changed the whole landscape, I think, of the suicide situation. But if you look at the most recent data, this reduction is leveling off now. The urbanization doesn't produce as much advantage as it has been. Yes, I think for the past two decades, I think China has been benefited from this economic development, and actually it could be bring some benefits, I mean, to the mental health and then the overall well-being of the Chinese people. But at the end of the day, once you reach a certain level, the things would not continue forever. And so you have to pay attention to the stress level of the people in the urban area. That's all the time we have for the podcast today. My thanks to my guest today, Professor Paul Yip. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to Asia Rising, the podcast for La Trobe Asia. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please leave a review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thanks for listening.